Before we get started, are you registered to vote? Exercise your right and register to vote at vote.gov or rockthevote.org. It's quick and easy to navigate on both platforms. You can find voting information such as deadline dates, polling locations, and more. Make sure you check your voter registration for the next upcoming local election. For my state of Florida, primary elections will be held August 23rd, 2022. The deadline to register is July 25th, 2022. The general election will be November 8th, 2022. Deadline to register is October 11th, 2022. Don't forget you can also vote by mail. Check out vote.gov and rockthevote.org for more information. Back to Perspectives. I'm your host, Eugenio Rana. On today's show, we'll be speaking with Organization Effectiveness Manager Edwin Zuluag. Edwin is based out of St. Louis, Missouri, and he works within our healthcare system, and he is responsible for change management. Change management is a structured approach to implementing change in an organization. More importantly, the communication of change. Everyone needs to know why the change is happening, feel positive about it, and understand how they can achieve success. Edwin has a fascinating story. He is a first-generation college graduate. His parents immigrated from Bogota and Medellin, Colombia to the U.S. in the late 1980s. After graduating high school in a fast-paced city like Miami, instead of choosing college or obtaining a job like a traditional student would, Edwin decided to become a Franciscan friar. A Franciscan is a member of the Roman Catholic religious order founded in the early 13th century by St. Francis of Assisi. The Franciscan Order is one of the four great mendicant orders of the Church, and its members strive to cultivate the ideals of poverty and charity. He decided to move to the Bronx, New York to study with Franciscan friars. This meant waking up at 5 a.m. every day for meditation, morning prayer, followed by mass, community work, evening prayer, night prayer. This went on for about four years, all at the age of 19. After some time, Edwin decided to leave the Franciscan Brotherhood. He eventually attended college, graduated, and eventually worked his way up to earning a bachelor's and master's degree in social work, to eventually becoming a change management rep at one of the nation's major healthcare institutions. Growing up in Miami and being in that crazy-ass, like, environment in high school at age maybe 17, 18, and 19, mm-hmm. um... um what made you do a complete 180 and instead of pursuing maybe, you know, going to college, maybe getting a job, what what clicked in your head to make you want to do the big shift of becoming a Franciscan friar or monk? I remember just like right in much in the beginning, like my I grew up in a, in a household where my parents were practicing Buddhism, Hinduism, Catholicism, Christianity, and, you know, like, I remember waking up five in the morning, my dad meditating, doing rituals, you know what I mean? I, was, I would participate as well. But there was a, a part of me that, that still wanted to be out in the world, still wanted to explore, still wanted to experience, you know, what the world had to offer, you know, with all the physical pleasures and all that, you know what I mean? And I think Miami sort of allowed me to be exposed to all of that at a very young age, you know, 17, having a fake ID, and, you know, club promoter at one point. So, like, what's the, what, what, what would be a typical 17, 18-year-old's, like, Lifestyle, I guess, in Miami, like where we grew up. Like, what were you doing on the weekend, for example? By 10 p.m., we're sort of getting ready. (laughs) 
by one o'clock in the morning, going out to either a club or, you know, or maybe stop at a gas station, get some drinks, whatever, and then go to a club, and then we won't be back to probably seven, eight in the morning the next day. And if we're in high school, school starts on Monday, you know, you, you kind of go right into it, you know what I mean? So that sort of lifestyle takes a toll. Um, but going back to that question you asked me, like, you know, like what made you decide to leave? Like, I, I remember, like, I, I was battling within myself. I, I was living this ideal world where I was like, I wanted to be this persona or there's someone that people can look up to me, you know, people can admire or whatever, but it was just for the wrong reasons. So it was like, you know, I want to be, like, popular. I want to be the best, whatever. You know what I mean? Well-known. And there was another part of me that was kind of, like, pulling me to the other side saying, is that, is that truly who you really are? You know what I mean? Like, what is, who, why are you here? And it's why you here kept asking, going back, like, almost like a tape recorder, kept going back, playing in the back of my head. And I came out to it's 3 in the morning, we're at a club. At that point, I was sort of there, like in the, in the midst of the club, and I'm just like, took a step back, you know what I mean? I was like, why the f am I here, dude? Like, it was like 3 in the morning, why am I here? So I, I, I remember I left, I, th I think it was when, I think it was at LG, I forgot where it was when we were together, whatever, and I left the club, I got in the car. And I was driving to the street, and I was just so tired of everything. Like, I was tired of living this ideal self. I was tired of, you know, falsifying, like, who I truly was. I busted a U-turn, drove uh, south, and there was a, this little chapel that's open 24 hours. And when I went in there, I felt, like, the sense of belonging. It's almost like, like relief, you know? And that's when everything inside was sort of fulfilling. And that's when I realized that I've been always seeking to be fulfilled externally, and I never once realized that I needed to seek that fulfillment interiorly. And at that moment, I realized that was the case. So after that, I started getting involved with community outreach. I started getting involved with um, this Haitian community who do a lot of like support to the people in Katy, and I supported them in that aspect. My mom knew a friend who's from Haiti and all of that. So right. what type of task did you have to do as a young kid? Because you're, what, 18, 19 around this time? Uh, eight, 17 turning 18 at this time, yeah. Mm, so yeah. Wasn't, was it the uh, efforts that you would make with this uh, group in Miami? What type of work did you guys do? Was it stuff that 17, 18-year-olds enjoy doing? Typically? Probably not, dude. Mm -hmm. Probably not. Um, but we collected, like, furniture, you know, materials, uh, medical supplies, and then we ship it out of Haiti. Because remember, this is the time when the, I think that ma magnitude earthquake was like 7 point something hit mm -hmm. that left a lot of people devastated. So that's when I was like kind of getting involved. And I realized, oh, I'm, I'm enjoying this. Like, I love doing this, you know, giving back or whatever, you know, as cliche as that sounds. But truly, I was like, this is fulfilling. And I think less and less, I think you, you notice that we're like less and less going out. And we're like, hey, let's just hang out at the house. Or let's go play rock band or I don't know, like, you know, like have some drinks and just talk about life. Right. Like things started changing for me because I was not seeking that, you know, like going going out constantly. I, I, I was more I was becoming more happier with myself that I started to meditate more, pray more. Um, I started to join my dad, you know, five in the mornings doing rituals and meditation, you know, stuff like that. I started to even do fasting for myself. Not just for the pleasures of like, oh, look, I'm fasting, you know, like I'm pious, I'm piety, whatever. No, but just really just uh, fasting just for, for my own growth and, and, and spirituality. That I knew that there was a, a pilgrimage coming up with the Haitians. And they had asked me, do you want to come with us? You know, and I said, I don't got that money. You know, there's no way. It was like, like $4,000. You know, I was in high school. I was making like the bare minimum. And... I made a promise with God. This is like when you have those promises, right? And I was like, God, if I 
don't go out clubbing or whatever. If I don't go and hook up with whoever, you know what I mean? If I, like, stay true to what I'm doing right now and, you know, like, stay focused, I'm going to do my part, but, like, promise me that, you know, like, something may happen that I may go, right? It's almost like this, like, you're, you're, you're sort of, like, having this ideal thought that, you know, somehow God's going to answer your prayers. So then this summer, you know, that summer I was behaving, you know, I was, like, sort of, like, keeping my mindset straight, you know, I was not, not trying to get involved and, like, going out and, like, I was really trying to be more spiritual, praying and, like, going to work, putting my effort, also saving money. Um, How difficult was it seeing your <clears throat> peers around you oh, not tough. doing yeah. the, I guess, disciplined or heavy disciplined uh, lifestyle <clears throat> that you had now started or embarked on at such a young age? It must have been difficult seeing everybody else not following the same path that you were Attempting to yeah, it, it, it wasn't difficult seeing them not following the same path. I think it was difficult, sort of battling with myself. You hear my dog in the background, right? One more time, please. <laughs> yeah, one more time. <laughs> so like, it's not that I saw it difficult not people following the same thing I was following, or, or sort of like meditating or praying and stuff like that. It was more of an internal battle, not just so much of not seeing people like follow the same things I was doing, but just you know, kind of like just doing my own thing. So yeah. What would you say would be? I mean, obviously this is a challenge, you know, making such a say discipline decision at such a young age where most would lack that discipline um, um, but what was your first real challenge that maybe had you questioning your decision once you decided to go 100% on this pursuit of faith what was the first challenge where it put you into question yeah as sad as this may say uh, at being 18 years old the first thing I thought what are people going to think of me mm. that was the first thing that came to mind what are people going to think you know why is everyone from Miami have everything, you know, all of a sudden is going to leave all that behind and, and be, you know, make a radical change and becoming a monk or whatever. You know what I mean? So I always came into battle, like, what are people going to think of me? And I think more and more now, as I got older and now that I know where I'm at now, I think about, man, why was I not so open about being a monk at that time? You know what I mean? It was almost like a, like a fear that people were going to judge me. And then now you see with the with the social media and the trends, you know, people are like now into like mental health and social spirituality and yoga and all that stuff. And I was like, I've done that a long time ago, you know, before it was such a, a thing, before it was like a taboo, right? Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, I, I, yeah, mm-hmm. so I didn't appreciate being uh, comfortable sharing and confident that this is who I am, right? So, but again, to, to decide to leave, like when I, when I had this sort of like, like realization, I started doing speed dating, not speed dating in the sense, you know, like speed dating, but speed dating with uh, different religious orders, kind of like finding my niche, which mm-hmm. which monk or group or whatever out there, it's going to be the best uh, group for me. When I went on this pilgrimage in Europe with this Haitian group, that's where I, I came across the Franciscan monks, the friars. There's a whole bunch, there's like 20 guys in brown robes out in the community in France, like in Paris, just like helping out the poor, the homeless people. When when I when I went to this pilgrimage with the Haitians, uh, with this Haitian group, you know, and, and we were in France. I remember walking back from the hotel one in the morning. Um, I saw a whole bunch of, at least 15 to 20 guys in brown robes, Birkenstock sandals, you know what I mean? Walking across the streets of, of Paris. And they were just helping the community, helping the poor, helping the homeless man. It was like one in the morning. And that sort of struck me. And I was like, who are these guys? Like, who, like, what are they doing? Like, but it, it was captivating. And it almost felt like a brotherhood or fraternity, whatever. But I, I, I saw some sort of connection. That pilgrimage ended, you know, we flew back to Miami, and I just kept having this, like, replaying back in my head, like, you know, that sort of intrigued me. It's almost like when you see a man in, in a military uniform, that sort of, like, captures you, like, oh, this guy in a uniform, or when you see a cop, or whatever, you know what I mean? It's just like you see someone in a uniform, or a doctor, or a nurse, and that, that sort of sparks some sort of vocation or, or discernment of 
could I see myself as this person? So I started digging. That's when I started speed dating different monasteries across the United States. I had no freaking idea that there were so many monks living in the United States, like Franciscan brothers and, and all these sorts of different orders um, in our own backyards. So I landed this group in New York, in the Bronx, New York, um, a group of Italian guys, you know, crazy as heck, you know, they lived the life as well. They all came from, they migrated from Italy. And when I went to, did like a come and see weekend, which is kind of like, uh, come and check us out, see how it is. I was scared because I thought they were all going to be pious, you know, praying like in a line, you know what I mean? Like in a podium, you know, like all like, you know, like a, you know, stuck up and whatever. And when I met these guys, it was the most down to earth guys I remember in my life. You know, they were, they knew who they were. They did not give a crap. You know what I mean? And they were serving the community day in, day in out, uh, getting their hands dirty, rolling up their sleeves, you know, getting their hands dirty in the community. And that sort of intrigued me. And when I, after that weekend, I knew then this is what I want to do. And when I went back home, I was working and there was another retreat coming up and I was working and I called my mom. I was like, mom, pack my bags. I'm going to, I'm going to New York again. And she was like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? And I was like, pack my bags. I'm going to New York. I'm going to, uh, for the retreat to see if this is for me. So, I mean, I'm so grateful. My mom was like, just pack my bags, came to my job and showed up to pick me up to go to the airport. And we haven't even bought our ticket yet. So, I simultaneously didn't know, but I bought a one-way ticket, and I thought I bought a wrong-way trip. That's how, like, my mind was, like, all, like, in the clouds. And my manager's like, you just got back from Europe. What are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, I have a dentist appointment. You know, like, I had to take my wisdom teeth. I forgot. I had to make up, make up a lie. So we get to the airport. I bought my ticket. We're there waiting at the, um, to, to, to board. And my mom was saying my good, her goodbyes. And, like, oh, like, you know, well, I'll pick you up on Sunday. And then when I look at the ticket, I was like... Mom, there's no return ticket. There's a one way. She was like, what are you doing? You know, like the Latin mom, like smacking me across the head. Like, you know, you still blah, blah, So anyways, I was like, we'll figure it out. Flew up there. Uh, had a beautiful experience. I knew that this was it for me, you know. You and, knew you were going to stay there once you got there? Yeah, I, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell us how early into the process. Like, how long was the retreat? For Sex, a weekend? It was a week. It was like four days. Mm-hmm. Uh, third day. Third day, I, I realized this is it for me. Like, this is commitment, right? Mm-hmm. So I knew this was for me. You know, after getting involved, they had a schedule, obviously, morning prayer, meditation, followed by, you know, mass, and then breakfast, and then sort of, like, on the community, helping the poor from, like, 9 to, like, 5 p.m. You, you join them in the way of life. You know what I mean? Like, you just live live the day-to-day with them, right? Uh, there was, like, a, probably like a talk or two, but it was mostly just morning prayer, meditation, and then from, like, 9 to, like, 5 p.m., just be on the community supporting whether... You're, you're supporting the volunteer at the hospital, or you're at the homeless shelter, or you're at the single women and children's household helping them, or you're at a house of AIDS, you know, an HIV and AIDS, we're helping these uh, clients and, and, and patients and whatnot. Uh, or you're at the projects, you know, supporting people who, who need help with, like, food, you know, additional resources and whatnot. I knew then this was for me. I was like, oh, yeah, no shot, you know. It's almost like when you say, oh, do you believe in love at first sight? Bet, bet your ass. I did, like, I, and I knew it. And then when I came back to Miami, uh, I applied for the, I applied. They said, hey, you know, you're young, you're only 19, you're, you're, you're turning 19, you know, usually except guys who are over 21 because they lived in the world. And I was like, listen, man, I'm from Miami. I lived it, believe me. And I'm like, all right, fine. So they, you know, they let me apply, went through all the psychological what process. What was the application process like? That was very important because I remember you showing me. Oh, yeah, 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 they don't. It was, uh, absolutely. It was not, no easy task. It, not easy at all. Uh, you... You, you apply, you have letters of recommendation. It's almost like you're applying for, for, college. for, for college. Mm-hmm. Very similar process. 
Um, then you have sort of uh, interview panels where you go to New York and then they, you interview with a whole bunch of fighters and they're interviewing you. They ask you questions about spirituality, life, um, even worldly life questions like, you know, have you, you know, hooked up in the past? Like, have you experimented, you know, like... Like, like personal questions. Um, oh, yeah, um, yeah. Involved morality, yeah. decision making. Exactly. Just just to understand that you, you, you're you not making a radical decision without actually living the life first. Do you know what I mean? That's because they want people to... To stick it through, they want people to like be know what's know what it's like to be in the real world, like out in the world, in the worldly things, and then you know, like they want to see a balance. Um, then when I came back, they gave me a they uh, they have a contract with a psychologist out there, and they sent me a package it was like six hundred questions of psychological questions to see if there was any sort of patterns. I submit that, send it back to FedEx, and then the psychologist reviews it. Uh, finds common themes and then I have to fly back and meet with a psychologist for three hours and he does a whole bunch of assessments that you can think of you know just to see if there's any sort of like tweaks or things that that maybe throw them off that may I may not be suitable for this way of life um, after that the friars get together and they review all the applicants they review the psychological exams you know the interviews and then they make a decision um, and thankfully like two weeks after that process I got called I remember I remember it was 3 p.m. I was at work you know, just shifting mail, whatever, and I got a call, and I put it on speaker, and the guy said, hey, Edwin, like, we are, remember we talked about the what-ifs? Well, this is not a what-if. We're excited to say that we want you to join our community. Dude, I right then and when I got chills, I, I even cheered, because I was like, wow, like, this is it. Joy overwhelmed. <clears throat> overwhelmed that, you know, they accepted me, but also, like, I'm going to change my way, my life. This is it. You know, whole with the 360. You know? What were your fears during that? Did you have any fears during that moment? Yeah, I, you know, was I gonna live up to those to those expectations? Um, how are people gonna view me, my community, my home? You know, like it's a radical change at 19 years old. Not a lot of people do that. But you know what I mean? Especially coming from Miami, you know, it's like you have everything in Miami. You know, you have the beach parties. Everything a 19 people, year old kid can ask for. Everything a 19 year old kid can ask for, and I left it all behind. And it was tough. It wasn't easy. You know, I'm human still. Like, you know, there was there was ups and downs where I felt like there was a bunch of doubts. But when I joined, you know, it was, it was beautiful, man. Like, I I don't regret it. The first night that you spent there, what was going through your head? Those, bullet, those butterflies in my stomach, did I make the right choice? Because, <laughs> again, I, you know, I packed, packed all my bags, just took my bare, you know, the minimum, and just and then went there. And I remember when I arrived from uh, LaGuardia Airport and I got picked up by one of the fires. On the on the, that car drive, I felt like eternity, and I was like, "Oh man, like this is it. I'm leaving everything behind, you know, mm-hmm. family, friends, everything." I didn't. Uh, this was in New York City, correct? Uh, New York, yeah. The the the, the Friary that I my first year was in New York in, New, in the Bronx, New York. So then, um, but yeah, but then the next day, you know, started morning prayer, meditation, kind of get the rhythm things. I was since I spoke Spanish and English, I got I got tasked to visit. Uh, some of the Latinx communities uh, in the projects, you know, um, helping them with, like, resources or just visiting, like, the, you know, uh, sick and elderly population. And this is when I was like, okay, like, this is it. Like, this is, feels good, you know. And little by little, I felt into the rhythm of things, and, and I was happy. That was, like, the happiest 19-year-old kid you can think of, you know. Like, you know, it was, it was beautiful. Now, when we're, um, first of all, talk to me about what a lifestyle of a monk would be. What would be your daily routine? And I'm already already established because you know yeah yeah like already deep into it months into it you you have your daily routine what was that like 
Yep, daily routine is you wake up uh, 6 in the morning, 5, whatever, you know, early in the morning. Uh, meditation starts at 7 a.m., followed by, by morning prayer, 7.30. After morning prayer, then there's Mass, and then just for the friars. And after Mass, you know, we have breakfast, or some guys, you know, go straight to the community for the ministry. And um, so, like, for me, like, I, you know, after that, after breakfast, I was serving, so in New York, I was serving the soup kitchens in New York. But when I was already a friar, like, already, like, you know, fast forward two, three years, when I was already, like, took my vows and everything, I was in Delaware. And I was in the Ministry of Caring, where I was uh, serving uh, different uh, local soup kitchens. So around 8.30 a.m., I would drive down there for um, for breakfast, you know, for the soup kitchen, make sure everybody has everything they need, you know, welcoming the, the community, the people outside. Um, and then it's followed by lunch, you know what I mean? Just kind of like in that rhythm of things, making sure that it's 12 to 1. And then sometimes around 2 or in the 3 in the afternoon, we'll probably visit some people who are sick, you know, like I'll sometimes tag along with the fire and visit um, one of the hospitals or go to the AIDS house where, you know, HIV and AIDS uh, patients are at. And just make sure that they have everything they need from a spiritual aspect of things, but also just like, you know, having a one-on-one, just being there, you know, with the people. I also spend a lot of time, I ain't gonna lie, a lot of time under Highway 95 uh, Bridge, which is on Wilmington. And it's a really, it, it, it's a high crime area. But I saw a lot of guys out there playing ball, basketball. And that's why I, I, you, you would see me at 1 p.m. playing basketball with these guys, you know, from in, like... In, in your robe. In my brown robe and Birkenstocks, yeah. We need a, a footage of that. Yeah, no, I, I know those those uh those a couple of kids, you know, and, and, and again, it's a huge predominantly African American community, right? And they see this white, super white guy with a brown robe and Birkenstocks and sandals, and like, who the heck is this guy? Like, you know, you know, who is this guy, right? And when they see that, I started balling. They were like, oh snap, you know what I mean? Like this. Yeah. <laughs> so then, uh, you know, that 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 developed a lot of relationships. Um, and then the more and more I hung out with them, the more and more we realized that we had a lot of commonalities, you know. And it was in this differential thing of, like, us versus you. It was almost like he's he's part of us, you know. Mm-hmm. And and these are not guys, you regular guys who are... Some of the Franciscans, the brother, brother. Uh No, no, the guys oh, on the okay. street, yeah, 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 yeah. the at-risk youth and, and also just adults out there who... Because, again, under the bridge, there was a high trafficking of, of drugs. Um, there was high crime. I'm at that basketball court where I used to play. Many people have got killed there just, just by playing ball, you know. So, but, but that, that's the risk I took. Uh, and that's why I joined the fires because I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to be down... Put my, get my hands dirty, put it up my sleeves, and, and, and be with the people. And it was a beautiful experience. And, and and the more and more they saw me showing up, the more and more they were curious about understanding who am I and what do I do. And the more I started sharing with them that, you know, I'm down across the street at the soup kitchen, you know, if you ever want to volunteer, support us, please. And we started seeing a lot of young kids coming and visiting and supporting us and, like, serving and volunteering. You know, and the more and more we saw them, the more and more they kept coming. You know, they kept coming. And that was my my first instinct of realizing, man, this is like a servant leadership style where it's just like, if I just show up, people are going to show up too, you know? Mm-hmm. And if I meet them where they're at, I wasn't there to judge. I wasn't there to say, hey, like, why are you doing drugs? Why are you killing people? Blah, blah. No, I didn't care. Let's play basketball. And then the rest spoke for itself. Um, are there any uh, personalities that you remember, any people that you encountered? Um, um, yeah, like, are there any people that you encountered that you remember that stand out? They would see consistently, and you, you grew up a bond with them. Or... Yeah, there was there was one guy. Uh, his. What's the story? Yeah, so like this one guy, um, 
Corey. I, I never forget this guy. He was constantly in and out of the jail, you know, and he would come to the soup kitchen just to want to help. But this guy was one of the most happiest people I ever met, you know. He was always willing to support, get involved, but he also got a lot of trouble with the with authority. He got a lot of trouble with uh, the community, you know. He he was heavy on drugs, you know. He did a lot of crime. He was always in and out of prison. Uh, I mean, out of jail. Uh, but but when it came down to serve others, man, he was he would throw himself. I will never forget uh, in Delaware back in 2012 when when they had their first hurricane. It was Hurricane Sally, I think it was. Sally. In Delaware, I think it was Hurricane Sally. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's like some weird name like that. It was back in 2012. We we had a soup kitchen open through a hurricane. All the streets were closed. Everybody was inside. You know, it was like winds blowing. It was raining a lot. Uh, under the under the street, like by the street of the soup kitchen. There's a sewage for the sewer, and it was getting it was getting clogged up with leaves, right? And Corey's like, brother, man, we, we need to go out there and, and clear it up so it doesn't get flooded because when cars start going down, they're going to slip, whatever, and crash, blah, blah. He went out there. It was like a gushing winds, you know, rain and all that. Hurricane was passing through, and he got a broom and was just, like, scraping all of the leaves out of the sewage because he didn't want people to get harmed, you know, if they would, if they drove by there because it was getting flooded or whatever down the hill. And I, I realized this guy, as much as issues or resume he has with with like crime and all that he has he i realized he had a bigger heart than than most of our friars because most of our friars were like i'm not getting out there getting wet you know what i mean like, i'm gonna stay in here you know what i mean that's when i realized you know and that's what that guy stood out to me the most and we built such a strong relationship because of that because he saw me for who i was and i saw him for who he was and and he had a huge heart you know and that, that was the beauty of being a monk that you you you're living amongst the poor all the time so you had no choice but to fall in love with the poor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you had no choice. When did the real-world challenges start popping up? Because how long were you consistently um, uh, with the Brotherhood and, 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 put in, and doing this practice? Four years. Four years and a half, I think. Four years Almost, yeah. Four years. Mm-hmm. Four years and a half. So when did the... I don't know if temptation is the right word, but when, yeah, did, sure. the, yeah. when did the real world start calling back? Every time it was vacation time, I, you know, went down to Miami. It was a lot of temptation. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You're, you're, you're like, oh wow, you know, Edward's back, whatever. Let's hang Miami out. Miami itself. Yeah, or, Miami or, itself. Yeah. Oh, I don't want. I don't want to. I, I hate to blame a, a city or a culture. I think it's all internal. It's home. It's home. It's what you it's, know. Exactly. You, you know, so. so it's almost like um, there's a saying, right? If if a guy loves to steal jewelry. And he stops stealing jewelry. Don't put him next to a jewelry store because he may steal again, right? It's mm-hmm. almost like in that same concept of this way of life. When every time I go back to Miami, all oh, the temptations came back, you know. Just seeing that sort of culture and lifestyle, I was like, oh, this is what I know. This is, you know, you know. And I know with being, having the vows of, like, chastity, poverty, and obedience, like, it was pretty tough, you know what I mean? And I was like, oh, man, like, you're, you're always going to think the grass is always green on the other side. And I started contemplating that third year coming around. You know, uh, there was a couple of moments where I didn't agree with certain things with like the brothers, you know, not well, the brothers, most is superior. That, is that something that you can get into? Like, yeah. What type of disagreement? It's like double, you know, like, uh, I think if you join an organization, right, and you're, you don't agree with your boss, you don't agree with your leader because they have, they their leadership approach is not the best way about handling things or, you know, there's a lot of like double standards and stuff like that. It affects you mm-hmm. because you, you you know you want you want to be all equitable. You want everybody to be treated the same. You want to feel a sense of belongingness. And there was moments where I felt I didn't feel a sense of belongingness, and not not in that sense that I didn't fit in with the friars. You know, I thought I had a vocation, but 
and I, and I have a, I had a spiritual director who was like, hey, like, you know, just, just don't worry about it. Just keep moving forward. Don't let, don't, don't let other people's behaviors affect your vocation. Just keep pursuing that. Be perseverant, you know. But then being young and also, like, you know, dealing with, with the struggles of, like, that frustration. And I had a lot of pride, too. Like, I was like, like no, like, we should have double standards. Or we should, you know, we should all be equitable. Like, if we all have, like... Um, the same we also have the same access and resources just because of this monk being here for 30 years doesn't mean that he gets to uh, drive this or do this or get a credit card to buy groceries while we the younger guys just get like $15 every two weeks you know what I mean things like that mm-hmm. like little stuff dumb stuff and, and 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 I let that eat me up alive I just kept like getting frustrated so that's when uh, this idea of, like, is the grass green on the other side started kicking in a lot more in my, my third year that I think the fourth year I realized it's not the other fire's fault. I think it's within me that I, maybe I'm not ready for this way of life. I love the brotherhood, and I admire it. You know, I still have great connections, but I realized that I needed to still work on myself. And at that point, I, I made a tough decision um, after four years to dispense vows and say, you know, this... Um, gonna go home and you know go back to college and everything like that yeah is that something that happens often within brotherhoods is that something that where i know there's 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 brothers who've been there for life but does that happen often where a brother goes in 100 percent and then just for whatever reason it is i think it happens with anything that has to do with some sort of vocation right marriage um whether you join a certain order whether you join religious life you know, you become a nun, convert, whatever it is, any sort of thing that has a vocation where it has a lot of commitment, it's can, it, it's really gonna face a lot of those what ifs or doubts, or it's gonna face of like, it is the other grass green on the other side. Once you cross over, the grass isn't always greener. You know what I mean? But that's that's when you realize, you know, after like I realize now, I'm like, man, if I would have stayed, I probably would have done great things, you know. But it's too late now. I have to just own it and then and just be grateful for that experience, right? Mm. But yeah, there's a lot of something else that happened to you that uh, that also has you <laughs> in another order or is will prevent you for good from going back at least at the moment and that is <laughs> oh marriage yeah, yeah absolutely yeah yeah the, the the monks have this uh, one of the vows is chastity and I didn't understand it I was like oh that means we can't have sex you know I always get this concept when I was a monk and I just come visit family or I talk to people on the streets hey brother they like, call me brother easy. Like, dude, but easy, like, that means you can't have sex, man. You're looking good, though, man. You're young. You're 20-something years old. You know what I mean? Like, and I was like, so I didn't understand this concept. But the beautiful thing is we study, we study in, in, uh, in the seminary, we study the theology of the body. That concept of, like, you know, that devout chastity, right? And you're just like, oh, that means we can have sex. You know what I mean? Um, when you're a young guy, obviously that's going to hit you hard, right? But the more and more you're immersed in this way of life and you accept it and you, and you embrace it, it becomes a it becomes a strength, right? Because you're seeing everybody for who they are, men and women, and you don't see them as objects, but you see them more as like people, and that's the beauty of that vow of chastity. And I didn't at the beginning I was struggling with it, right? Because again, I came from Miami, had a lot of experiences out there, and then kind of stepping into this world, I was like, oh man, it's pretty really challenging. Complete 180. Yeah, complete 180. So there was always those internal struggles, but uh, my time in California when I was out there as a novice. They say, you know, when you go out there in the mountains uh, with 30 guys, you know, you're praying and meditating, you know, living amongst each other, you're going to see your demons, meaning these struggles and whatnot, and whatnot. And it was a complete opposite for me. I think that's where the most I felt uh, sort of embracing this whole spirituality aspect of, of chastity and poverty and obedience, so the three vows. 
and I loved it, man. Like I did, like those moments where I once thought, oh man, but what if this? If I go, no, I was so immersed in it that I was that I was at a almost like my cup was full in a good way internally. Like I was feeling so internally fulfilled that I didn't need any external fulfillment. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's weird to say it, um, but it's the truth, right? It's like abstinence may is not real. That's fake. You know, nobody can do it. That's BS. No, well, discipline. Yeah, for example, like people say, like, oh, like abstinence, that's not true, that's not real, whatever. But when you connect uh, abstinence with uh, service to the poor, right, and your spirituality, all that becomes so fruitful that you, you, you feel so fulfilled that you don't need any, like, worldly external or exterior, like, exp- I guess physical pleasures or whatever, per se. Yeah, there's moments when you, when you want to have the connection or you're as a monk, you're like, oh, I'm praying all the time, I'm meditating, why can't I feel God? Why can't I feel the love of Christ or whatever? Like, you know, you're always constantly thinking about that. Why do I feel spiritually fulfilled? Well, sometimes we even uh, selfishly always try to seek that. Now that we're trying to seek that internally, it's almost like Mother Teresa always said it best. You know, it's like, um, if I am ever considered a saint, you know, and... And, and they, the Empire State Building, they lighted up. I wanted to be light up gray because I never once felt God. She never once felt like this, like, uh, oh, my God, I feel Christ. I feel God. Like, she never felt that love of Christ. She, she always felt like she was alone, you know. Um, but she didn't let that get in the way of serving the poor like if she was serving God or Christ. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's what made her so great mm-hmm. in today's times, you know. And that's why people talk about her because she just gave her 110% just to the poor. And so I, I realized then that in order for me to be spiritually fulfilled, I just need to immerse myself with the poor and support them in any cause, you know what I mean? And just really be embedded in that. And that's what sort of gave me that gratitude of fulfillment. Not so much this uh, trying to seek this relationship with, with Christ or God, like, oh my God, like, where is he? No. You know, that comes with time. But in the moment, you just, like, want to just immerse yourself with the poor. And I think that's where all the food comes in. Yeah. So when... You had to make the difficult decision of leaving. Um, uh, what was there a, a one specific factor that made you leave, or you know, one pursuit that made you leave, or was it variety? Was it just time? Yeah, my vocation was not as strong enough like others. You know, I what do you mean, like the discipline practice. Yeah, discipline practice, um, and just knowing, being truthful to myself. If I'm going to live this way of life, and I'm going to show up to the community. I can't show, and lack for the better words, half-ass. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't be doing this this life, but then also having a whole side of me who's thinking of something else or thinking about living in another world. You know what I mean? I have to make a decision, and that's when I came to the realization that I have to be true to myself, to my community, and to my brothers. And that's why I made the decision to to leave because I knew that I was not going to live at a hundred percent. And it wasn't fair to the people I was serving, it wasn't fair to my community, and it wasn't fair to the relationship I had with God, you know. Now, when you came back, um, uh, were you different? Like, would you would you say that you're the same Edwin, or...? Oh, no, I I think people realized that I was... I mean, I don't know if you guys uh, know the, saw the difference, but, like, I think, like... I remember you from elementary school. You are way different then. <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely... It, it, it definitely changed me, like... Values, purpose. I think I, I brought that all back together, and I think that's where I am right now. You know, uh, being in healthcare now, like I realized that everything that I brought back with me sort of made me for who I am right now. Absolutely, hundred percent. Now you're applying what you learned during those yeah. years, especially in so much. Absolutely, today. yeah. Like when we talk about emotional intelligence, when we talk about spirituality, mental health, when we talk about, um, you know, culturally competent. You know, just because I lived in different states with different worked with different sort of communities. So like coming back, like. 
I took those values with me, right? Like those those core values that, that I was taught, like, you know, be more emotionally intelligent, understanding my own emotions, my emotions of others, and how to react to other people's emotions. So being just more aware. Um, other thing, too, is being culturally competent, like being aware of other people's cultures and how they show up to the table, right? I think that I, I brought into any workplace that I worked in after I, I, I left the religious order. Um, is that because you um, working with folks who are in need of assistance or help or you know in the streets is such a variety is such a toss up with the type of people right oh, it's, it's not it's a, a huge particular person who runs mm-hmm. in the streets it no it's anybody, multiples right? yeah. yeah so like for example like I, I spent time with working with the Muslim community I spent time with the Jewish community I spent time with um, different races ethnicities whether it's in California uh, with the Aztec community uh, those who are undocumented all the way from like you know in New York with uh, with the Jamaican community and I had no choice but to just immerse myself and learn from them. And accept. Right? And because, exactly. Uh, so I'll give you an example. I was 20 years old. Um, I was all bubbly and like extroverted. Now I, I introduced myself and, and gave handshakes and welcomed. It's pre-COVID, obviously. Uh, handshaked everybody that came in and said, hey, good morning. Welcome to my new dining room. You know, we're here to serve you, blah, blah. And I remember this lady, um, she had, um, she looked at me and I went to give her my handshake. And she was like, mm-mm. And she just took a step back. And she looked serious. And I felt offended. I'm like, why, why is she being so disrespectful? But I had a, I had a good close Muslim friend of mine who, who volunteers at the soup kitchen. He was like, hey, brother. Um, and our Muslim, she's, she's part of our Muslim community. Like, she doesn't shake hands with anybody outside of her Muslim community, especially, around, especially men. And at that moment, I realized, man, I was so quick to judge her. And, and that's when, like, reality hit me. Like, I need to be aware of my own biases, and I need to be aware of, like, other people's cultures and beliefs, you know? And at that moment, I, I was like, I was 20 years old at that, or, yeah, I was turning 21. I was, like, 20 years old. I realized um, about, about understanding and being culturally humble of other people's cultures. And I think, that thing was the best lesson I ever learned, because I, moving on, I was just, like, just embracing anybody that showed up, you know, whether... No matter what they throw at you. Yeah, so, like, I, I thankfully, I was assistant director for, for the soup kitchen, and I remember we all decided we were not going to serve pork or ham um, in, at the soup kitchen certain times because we had a huge Muslim community and they did not eat ham or pork. And sometimes I remember we were serving ham and they couldn't eat it, you know, so all they could eat is a little fruit cup and bread. And that's that's not right. You know what I mean? And if we want to serve the poor with dignity, we got to sh- we got to meet them where they're at. Mm-hmm. So we started practicing. We, we didn't we didn't we, we started changing the, the menus that apply to our clients. So that sort of helped us uh, build that customer experience, patient, you know, like client experience where they feel like they're welcome, they feel like we're serving them. And I, know, I never forget we had a volunteer who always um, did his, you know, meditations and prayers with, um, what do you call it? I'm losing the word for it. There's a word for for like, you know, like the rug that they put on the floor to like to meditate and pray um, that the Muslim community do. And, and we, we gave him a space so he can do that. Um, during while he was working mm-hmm. so things like that like you just embrace those things you know what I mean and I think that's what really I brought, I brought back in my own work and I think that's why I've, I've been able to be successful in my career I will never forget this I was um, came in the morning soup kitchen still troubled still like the battling with myself like oh like I is your three or four around there yeah like it's my fourth year and I was like almost uh, kind of like I haven't I haven't thought about fully if I was leaving I remember this this homeless guy who always came in, a very nice guy. He he came to me and he pulled me from the robe and he on the shoulder and he says, "Brother, you don't need this robe to serve us. You know, you don't need this robe. You know." 
And for me, it clicked. I'm like, holy crap, like, I don't need to be in this order, in this robe to serve the people, serve the community. You know what I mean? And, and I think that was like sort of like that epiphany for me to just say, Edwin, it's okay to leave. You know, you joined, you were here for four years. You know, you, you set to this way of life for four years. It's okay to leave. And I think that just gave me such peace uh, with, within that I think it, it made my decision much more easier to make the decision to leave. And, and, and um, I remember there was a, there was a, it was a nun that, that she was such a nice lady. Um, and we always had, uh, we always joined them for like mass on, on a certain day of the week, right? Mm-hmm. And then we followed by dinner. And I'll never forget, she's, she was about nine, 95 years old. She was, always had like the brightest smile. And I told her personally, I wanted to tell the person that you know, I decided I'm leaving, blah, blah. And when I went, so I was like, hey, like, I just want to let you know that I decided to leave the order. I haven't told many people, but I'm leaving. She had a, such a big smile. And she looked at me with, with her water eyes and she said, thank you for saying yes to this way of life. Mm-hmm. You know, now you go do what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And that for me was like such peace. I was like, oh, like, it's okay, you know. And, and, I, and I, left, I left with gratitude, you know. That sort of guilt of like, I'm leaving these people, you know, it hit hard because I'm like, you know, these are people who look up to us, you know, we, you know, we have some sort of authority because of the robe that we carry. So it, it was just difficult um, to leave them. And not, not so much the order, but just the, the community, the, the people that I was serving, because they saw hope in us and, and, and they saw that we're going to save them, you know, and, 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 and it sucks to say it that way, like, oh, we're some saviors, but... Help, I think help is... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, they, they just saw that we were the ones that were their advocates because they didn't have a voice. They felt like we were their voices. And because I was so embedded in the community and everybody knew me, and I was, and I, was, and I sort of utilized my extrovertness to, like, talk, you know, go to fundraising and talk to, like, corporate leaders and governors and representatives and, you know, being at a young age and, like, high energy. I feel like I could have done more if I would have stayed, but that, that sort of guilt of, like... I'm leaving the community. It was, it was pretty difficult. Yeah, but I feel like the um, the skills that you learned, right, and the discipline that you learned during that time and with that community, you're, if anything, you're probably putting that into practice yeah. every day now, more than ever, especially in your current role. Oh, absolutely. And especially yeah. in your role with the hospital yeah. before. This is a great question because, like, I, I was at the individual level, right? As a monk, you're individual level. You're not, you're not in the meso- macro so there's like different tiers of like um, whether it's individual level community level and like system level as a monk i would consider myself constantly being at the community slash individual level constantly back and forth right but i knew I, i began to realize that there were systematic structures that sort of made it that way you know with with within the individual and community level like i saw it it was it was like whether i was in california new york delaware kansas wherever i was located it was a common theme, like it was like a structure, and I was like, "Holy crap!" Like, if I'm gonna make some real change, I need to, I need to go to the system level to make those changes. You know, if we're truly gonna eradicate health disparities, if we're truly gonna eradicate food insecurity, you know, and stuff like that, that and that's why I left. Some part of it, I left the order because of that. You know what I mean? And to some to some degree, um, and that's why where I'm at now, where it's like I'm supporting organization. You know, like within my healthcare system, is how do we support the, the the processes and structures that we have in place to best serve our communities, our patients, you know, our clients, our customers that come into the hospital, to the ED, through, you know, outpatient and patient clinics, you know what I mean? So it's like, how do we, from a leadership team, how do we fix our, our internal processes to make sure that we have optimal experience for the 
for the clients. Which in a way, it's, it's no different than what you were doing. Obviously, it's more sophisticated, but no different than what you were doing in a community, right? Because no, you have to get with your leaders and be like, all right, how are we going to do no the different. best to oh, yeah. serve you know, the, this particular group of folks, that, you know, the Muslim brothers? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, like, you know, you guys had to do your research. You guys had to do, you know, to, to know what adheres to their culture, what adheres to their benefit, which I'm sure is the same thing you do to provide, you know, to make sure the healthcare system is fully functioning and able to provide for the customers who have yeah, healthcare. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's the same concept, just in different terms, right? Mm-hmm. So you have an example of how you applied that to the real world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you registered to vote? Exercise your right and register to vote at vote.gov or rockthevote.org. Make sure you check your voter's registration for the next upcoming local election. For my state of Florida, primary elections will be held August 23rd, 2022. The deadline to register is July 25th, 2022. The general election will be November 8th, 2022. Deadline to register is October 11th, 2022. Don't forget you can also vote by mail. Check out vote.gov and rockthevote.org for more information. Thank you for joining us on Perspectives. I want to thank Edwin Zuluaga for joining us. Please follow us on all social media platforms, Apple Music and Spotify, and especially check out thepowerculture.com, where you can stream or listen to all of the Perspective episodes along with more content focusing on culture, news, music, and art. Powerculture.com. Peace.